the Life Hurts God Heals. I'm your host, Kurt Flagel. And on this particular show, we are talking about the Enneagram. What the heck is the Enneagram? And why is it an important tool on the journey of discovering our true selves? Joining me in this discussion is my good friend and special guest, Kim Ward. Welcome back, Kim. Thanks for having me back. I love it. So uh, we're going to be talking about the Enneagram, and you know a thing or two about that. And I think this would be a good place to just put in a disclaimer. Mm. Neither one of us claims to be experts on the Enneagram. Definitely not an expert on this one. But we have both been on a journey, and so really what we're talking about is our experiences. What we've learned about God and about ourselves through this tool called the Enneagram. From your experience and your perspective, what is the Enneagram? How would you define it? It's a tool, first off. I think that's important because I I know at least a few people in my acquaintance who kind of don't want anything to do with it because they feel like it puts them in a box. Mm. And to be honest, when I first got introduced to it, I kind of felt that way a little bit myself. Like I was getting stuck and trapped in a box, and I didn't particularly like that box. So I, I, I kind of, I had to take it to God and go like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I mean, I identify with the statements, but I also don't like those statements. So what do I do with it? So I, I've heard it described as a tool to help you find the places that are your blind spots. Nice. Because we all have a blind spot. We all have areas where we don't recognize what's going on within ourselves. Yeah. Especially with the Enneagram, it's kind of how we've learned to cope with the world. That's what it is. It, it, it reveals. It reveals how we've learned to cope with the world. It's looking at the inner motivations behind why we do what we do. And that's something that's important for us because you can't bring something to God that you don't know is going on. You don't know what you don't know, is what I like to say. Yeah, so it's just been a tool that God's been using in my life to help expose things that have always been a part of how I've dealt with the world and how I've dealt with things going on in my life, but I didn't recognize that I was doing that. Mm. Or I did, but I didn't know what to do with it once Mm. I recognized it. So I'd say that's really what it is. It's a tool to help you see where you're being blind. Which is really different from other personality profiles like Myers-Briggs, mm. things like that. And those don't really deal with blind spots. They deal with your personality and the idea of your preferences. Yeah. Most pr- personality profiles deal with the what. Right. However, the Enneagram, which is a personality profile that's represented by nine numbers. It deals with the why, the why we do the things we do. So when a person looks at the nine numbers, they're really looking to see the motivation, the why behind the description of what each number does. That's how they're going to really determine which number they truly are. Yeah, it was one of the first things I learned because it took me a little bit to figure out, oh, that really is my type because there were things I I was doing that there were other numbers on the type that would do the exact same thing. The what? 
the what. The what we were doing was exactly the same. It's the, it was the motivation behind it that was different. Mm. And I wound up having to go on YouTube and kind of start typing it in and going like, okay, well, am I a two or am I a nine? So you went on YouTube. I had actually been exposed to Enneagram a while back before I met you. There was a blogger who I was following who was very much interested in the Enneagram. So it was something that she posted a lot about. Some podcasts that had had to do with it and some YouTube videos as well. Okay, so that's what you're doing on YouTube. You're looking at her stuff? Uh, some of it was her stuff, but there was also a lot of some of the more popular. Richard, Father Richard Rohr is on there. Um, Ian Morgan Cron, who wrote The Road Back to You, which is the book that you introduced this whole thing to me with. Yeah, um, he a has lot, a podcast. He has a podcast, but he also has a lot of YouTube videos. Both of them do. And then uh, Susan Stabile, who wrote, technically co-wrote the book with Ian, also has a bunch of YouTube videos and her own podcast as well. Oh, I've never listened to any of her stuff. <laughs> I, I've listened to one or two. She's on my she's in my podcast playlist currently. Yeah. And I was just like, well, how do you tell the difference between a two and a nine? Because they actually do a lot of the same things. Yeah. Like... Both a two and a nine, if you ask them, where do you want to go to eat? They're going to try to foist the question back off onto you <laughs> and get your preferences for it. And even if they have a different opinion, they're probably both going to go with what you want. Uh, interesting. But the two, the two will still, in their mind, really, really want to do what they wanted yeah. to do originally. They'll just go along with it because they want to love you more and they're more focused about your needs. Mm. Whereas the nine kind of will actually start talking themselves into being convinced that, oh, yeah, this was the better idea in the first place. <laughs> like, we should have just done that to begin with. Like, why did we even need to have this conversation that made me uncomfortable? <laughs> and I was like, oh, because uh, one thing that the authors frequently suggest is looking back at your 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old self. Mm. And whereas I'm more confident in what I want now, 20-year-old me had no freaking clue and always kind of just melded with whatever the group wanted and, and could honestly say, well, I really don't care. Like, we can watch whatever. I'll be happy with it. Why the 20-year-old? 20-year-old self? Why the 20-year-old self? They say because you're an adult now, you're starting to live on your own, but you're still figuring out who you really are. So it's like this kind of in-between time where you haven't gotten the maturity yet of life and experience and everything else, but you're not a kid, so you're no longer under the authority and role of your parents, and you're not having to follow those kind of social norms. So it's it's where you're really actually figuring out who you are. So it's a more raw period yeah. where there's not the covering of your parents anymore to hide who you might be. Yeah, You're living on your own, and you're learning to live more out of who you are, and yet also you don't have the dictates of other people, um, bosses, things mm -hmm. like that, that haven't created layers on top of that. So yeah. it's more raw. It's more raw and and, the mat and mature, just maturing. Like there's certain things you just learn. Like, you know, here now at 36, I'm not the same person I was at 20. and. Yeah. Uh, I admit I completely thank God for that. <laughs> I don't really want to go back to 20-year-old me. I, I admit. I was going to say amen, but I, then I thought it might, 
it might make you think I was talking about you when really I was talking about myself. <laughs> right. Like we, you know, when you're 20 or 20 something, you you really you think you have it all together to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you're you're at least like I'm an adult now. I can make my own decisions. And it can be harder to listen to advice from others. Yeah. Um, and it takes time to realize, oh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And, hmm, kind of wish I would listened to that advice now that I was being given. But there was more of an honest exploration. Yeah. In that season, you know, being more in touch with, hey, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. And so there's, even though we're not listening to others, we're we're listening more, what I hear you say, we're listening more to ourselves in that season and taking steps, courageous steps to, you know, make mistakes yeah. and learn from those mistakes. And so that's the reason why they say go back and look at your 20-year-old self is that there's more of a raw honesty um, where you're still trying to figure it out, but you're exploring that and you can kind of use that to to gauge who you really are, that each of us basically is one of these nine numbers, that every person is one of these nine personality profile numbers. Is that the reason why people push back on the idea of being of being a number? They push back on being boxed in by one of nine numbers. Yeah, I think it can be a hard concept to grasp um, for people because nine seems kind of limited. Yeah. And I love how Ian Morgan Cron explains it in his book where he's like... The Road Back to You. In The Road Back to You, yeah. He explains that, well, there's only one color red, but when you go to shop for paint, you suddenly learn that, well, there might be only one red, but there's about a thousand different shades of red within that. And it's yeah. the same within the Enneagram. It doesn't box you in because there's a million different expressions of that number. Yeah. Yeah, and shading. Yeah, the shadings are very yeah. and variations of that. Mm. So there's a basic, like there's basic colors, mm -hmm. and then there's all these variations on those colors. And so in the Enneagram, learning the basic numbers and then the identifying yourself in one of those basic nine numbers is the starting point, but then you can get into layer upon layer upon layer of all these variations to really dial in a greater understanding of your uniqueness and your in your identity. Is that that's what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, yeah, and that that's definitely been my experience with it. The Road Back to You is a great intro book, I would say. But since then, I've picked up a few other ones um, <laughs> from Richard Rohr, who is who's the one who really put the Enneagram on the map, for at least for us English-speaking countries, to Christopher Hertz, who has written some of my favorite, who wrote, well, actually probably my favorite currently, is the Sacred Enneagram, because mm. it doesn't just deal with the personality types, but it's an invitation to go deeper, and he offers um, spiritual practices to go along for each different number mm. that are keyed directly to spiritual growth for that type. Mm which is just beautiful to me because that's the whole point is it's not, oh, look, I'm sticking myself in a box and this is my excuse to stay here for the rest of my life. But it's always for growth and to move forward and to be able to bring those areas before to God and then 
grow. See the blind spots so that, you, like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Well, I said that, but <laughs> you, you got us there to that point. Mm-hmm. But what you don't know, like you said, a blind spot you don't know, you can't bring to God. Yeah. So the point of the Enneagram is to reveal the areas where we're living and acting out of blind spots that we don't even realize yeah. what we're doing or why we're doing it. And it reveals those places in us so that we can take them to God and begin to allow him to grow us into a more healthy version of who we are. Is that what I'm hearing you <laughs> yeah. say? Yeah, definitely. Which moves us into, again, the why. Why uh, the whole Enneagram is is all revolved around the why. <laughs> so it moves us into the why. Why is the Enneagram so compelling for you, personally, and we may have a hint in what we just shared, but I'd love to hear how it's connecting to you personally. I think for me, growing up, I was extremely disconnected from myself in general. That was that was my coping mechanism. For spoiler, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, <laughs> so which is figured, the peacemaker. You, you I, I did I did figure that one out. It, it didn't take too long. It took a little bit of wrestling, and the more uncomfortable I got, the more. Uh, I became convinced that that really was my number. Why Why was Be- it discomfort that convinced you? Partially because I think Ian says it, I know Chris says it in his book as well, um, that it can be a major hint that the more uncomfortable the wounds or the what they call the deadly sin behind that, the more uncomfortable the descriptions make you, the more likely it is that it's, it's probably your number because it's making you uncomfortable. Because it's uncomfortable to look at ourselves, honestly. Mm. It's uncomfortable to look at ourselves in an honest way. But that's the place of growth, right? We can't know where we need to go if we don't know where we're starting. As someone who's a nine who our <laughs> go-to is running away and hiding and, you know, doing... I can get distracted by a million different things. So for So for me, just... Knowing my background, knowing that I spent so much time disconnected from other people, from myself, from everything, I'm suddenly going like, like I mean, nines especially, we long for connection. Mm. Like, we, we'll do whatever it takes to avoid <laughs> disconnection whenever possible. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, like I don't have to be stuck here? Like, there's a, there's a path forward? And I was like, but that's like really comforting. And me being me, I'm like, well, I got to share that. You know, everyone really wants that freedom. So I was just like, I got to like start sharing it. So I got a little over enthusiastic <laughs> about it. Fortunately, I have, I have friends that are very patient when I get enthusiastic about things. <laughs> Probably because it doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> I finished The Road Back to You a couple times. I, I got uh, Richard Rohr's book. Which is uh, uh, da, 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 the Enneagram, a Christian perspective. The Enneagram, a Christian perspective. Okay. Is his, and then the Sacred Enneagram is Christopher Hertz. Out of those two, why um, do you like Hertz better? I'd say there's a vulnerability to Chris Hertz writing that was attractive to me. Mm. It felt like Richard's. I, it was more ideal ideas and ideals where Chris took and made it practical. He's like, here, here's some steps you can take forward. 
moving forward, these are things you can look into and do and apply to your life. You know, and, and I love ideas. I mean, I'll sit and talk with about ideas forever, but at some point, the pavement and the road, like, you, the wheels got to actually hit the pavement, and there's got to be forward movement. It's <laughs> a good analogy. And uh, so I just, um, between the language Chris uses, it's still somewhat intellectual, but it felt more accessible, and, and mm. just being able to move forward and feel like there were steps being offered. For you, then, what I'm hearing was the road back to you is a good primer, and the next logical step you found that connected your heart and mind to growth through the Enneagram was the sacred Enneagram. Yeah. Okay. Why do we need a tool like the Enneagram to help us discover our blind spots? Why is it such a struggle for us? Well, I know some of it is we like to self-protect. Yeah. That I think that's that's got to be a huge one. I was actually, um, Chris Hertz put out a newer book recently, The Enneagram of Belonging. Mm, yeah, I um, saw that. Haven't read it. Yeah, I, I'm only a little ways in. <laughs> I'm lear- slowly learning to take my time when it comes to um, those kind of books. But he was also talking about the idea that it's ironic that the thing that we need most, which is to see ourselves clearly, is also the thing that we struggle with the most. And run from. And run from on a regular mm. basis because it's not comfortable. We're <laughs> we're creatures of comfort to, to one extent or the other, you know, some of us more than others when it comes to being comfortable. But there's a certain amount of fear that we're going to see something that's going to wreck us when we look at ourselves clearly. Yeah. Uh, there's a fear that <laughs> that we're only going to see the ugly and not see any of the beauty that God also put into our makeup. And it, it's scary to to see ourselves fully in that way because we were created to see beauty. Mm. We were created to enjoy beauty. And there's bits and pieces of us that aren't beautiful. They're still part of who we are, but they're harder to look at. It's really interesting you say that. For those of us who are Christ followers, we tend to focus on sin a lot. Mm. And yet, it wasn't the original thing that God focused on or said was true of us. Yeah. What was, like in the scripture, mm. when God first talks about humanity, what's his first descriptor? It's good. Yeah. In fact, very good. Very good. And then we disobeyed God and listened to the the father of lies as Jesus calls him and what he said about God and we believed him over what we knew of God already when it comes to God we had all these experiences in relationship with him and yet the first time there's a negative hint rumor about God we immediately buy into that and react from that and when we do that, we buy into Satan's lies, and now we have this layer called sin, right? And so, like, my, you know, I've said it before, but my, my definition of sin is now what's missing. You know, what's missing is God's love. So sin is an absence of God's love. And our identity is, from the beginning, has been beloved. We have an enemy, 
And the whole goal of that enemy is to obscure the truth of who we are as as those made in God's image, which is very good, who are loved by God. That's that's our identity. We are perfectly loved. We are beloved because God's identity is perfect love. But the enemy wants to obscure all that. So his whole job is to speak lies and insert them in between the core of who we are and our outer living, our subconscious and conscious thought processes and our daily living, our our words and actions. That's his whole goal. Because if he can do that, if he can separate us internally from the reality of who God is and who we are, then he can separate us from that relationship in our daily living. But now we have this insecurity we have all these thing, other things, all these other layers, mm-hmm. and the enemy speaks from those places. Yeah. What we think is God's voice speaking. This whole thing, it reminds me of an article I read about this unique biome, right? And a biome is this environment that is unique because it, of the plants, the animals, the, the way the weather and the atmosphere works in that mm-hmm. particular place, the the geography of it, everything comes together to create a unique environment. That's what's called a biome. I was reflecting on this, and God was revealing to me that each one of us is like these beautiful environments, right, that was created to be unique, unlike any other environment. And there's so many people that fight against polluting the environment, right? And it's yeah. such a, it is a noble cause. Unfortunately, what we do is we fight so much for the outer environment and ignore the inner environment, in fact, use that noble cause as an escape mm-hmm. to not pay attention to the inner environment. And what's going on inside of us is that we've been polluted, that we have this beautiful, unique environment that God has created and said is very good, which is each one of us, our unique, true identity before God. And then this pollution, all this pollution came in called sin that, that we allowed in, and it has created layer upon layer upon layer over that beautiful, unique environment, our true identity. And what God is saying to us is, hey, the journey in relationship to me is really one of subtraction. It's more about removing the layers that hinder you from living out of the true identity, that that beautiful biome, that unique environment that every human being has, marred and messed up by these pollutants. And my whole goal is to remove them, is to get them out of the way, to remove the layers that we are unconsciously operating out of, and are afraid to face mm-hmm. anything inside because all we see is the pollutants. Yeah. And we focus on the pollutants and we let the enemy point out the pollutants and say that's us. All of those nasty sinful layers are actually false identities that we bought into and operate out of. God is perfect love, that's his identity, and our identity is beloved. And he wants to use, he gives us all these tools because he wants us to use them to walk with him and partner with him in stripping away all of the layers of pollutants that are keeping us from seeing the beauty of our true identity and living from that place. 
And God, the more we walk with God and he cleans up the environment mm-hmm. in us, the more those that sweet spring of of God as our source connects to our soul and flows outward into our, into our daily expressions, to our daily thinking and feeling and our daily actions. That's a long way of saying that, but <laughs> it's the things that I've been thinking a lot about. And so the Enneagram is a tool. It's a cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> How has the Enneagram personally helped you, Kim, see and identify the pollutants and begin to clean up? Like, what are those things in you, the lies, the pollutants, and what's the true self, the uniqueness of Kim that you begin to see and embrace? Well, I guess it would be helpful for them to know what a nine actually what nine actually is. So the nine, um, they talk about having a deadly sin, and it's just kind of your weakness. They, they, they kind of identify it like that. And for the nine, it's sloth, which doesn't actually necessarily mean physical laziness, but spiritual laziness. So it's a be, it's the deadly sin identifies a behavior, or a mind which a mindset, a mindset or a mindset. coping pattern yeah. in this case. A mindset, which is a coping mechanism. Which was, essentially, it's not worth working on myself. Nines experience everything in life as being too much Mm. for them. Because nines want to avoid conflict. And I certainly found that to be extremely true in my life. That most of the coping mechanisms I developed were a way to escape from the chaos that was my childhood growing up. Which was... A lot of conflict. A lot of conflict, um, a lot of negativity, a lot of you're not enough, you're not going to make it, um, you name it. (laughs) There weren't too many negative things that weren't said at one point or another. So would you say that some of the pollutants that got mixed into the waters of that beautiful biome that is Kim Ward was one of the pollutants maybe was uh, a sense of failure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did literally flat out here. Uh, my father say, you're never going to make it. You're, you're going to fail. So that that was definitely some of it. So the way to not deal with that, in my case, as a nine was literally to not think about it. Uh, my coping mechanism became very quickly, redirect your brain to something else. Which was what? What would you redirect <laughs> Uh, I spent a lot of time daydreaming, I read a lot of books, I watched a lot of TV shows once I got to the point where my parents were no longer controlling my TV time, (laughs) Um, so I can't say that TV was an escape, Mm. (laughs) at least not growing up, Um, but but reading, reading reading was an allowed escape, it was an encouraged escape, although I don't I seriously doubt they realized that that was why I was reading. Hmm. I didn't realize that was why I was reading. There's the coping mechanisms, the blind spots. Yeah. So for me, it was just a lot of, well, I can't think about the future. I can't handle thinking about the future. I can't handle thinking about a lot of what's going on in my life. So the second it would come up, I would redirect my brain to thinking about something else. I created entire horse farms in my brain, including picking out every single horse. <laughs> That's a super active imagination. Oh, yes. Ah, which works great in that theory until it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you're seeing things that aren't there. <laughs> so definitely less fun. Tell uh, me about that. What do you mean? So my father, bless his heart, 
Um, I had a tendency to like to get up early and to go out and go ride and be out in nature. That was kind of my happiest times. Well, in order for that to happen and for me to t take good care of my horse and or pony, at the time it meant getting up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning to go outside in the dark and feed him and clean his pen so that I wouldn't be in trouble <laughs> later on when my mom went out there and was like, wait, you took your horse riding, but you didn't clean up first? That's not allowed. Mm. And so my dad, being the paranoid sort that he is, started telling me, well, you know, you you could get, like, kidnapped or, you know, there's, like, homeless people and, like, you know, you could get attacked or, you know, there's raccoons and coyotes. Mm -hmm. And there's all these things, different things that could attack you. Well, as a result, because I'd never thought about any of that, so I was totally fine mm -hmm. until he started saying those things. Then every little crack of the branch would send my heart racing. And, you know, I would still do it because it was worth worth it. But I swear I would see shapes in the dark, like just outside, because they had floodlights so I could see what I was cleaning. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you know, your brain just starts playing all sorts of tricks on you. Mm of hearing and seeing, and I uh, turned the floodlights off to make it back down to the house. And so I frequently ran, <laughs> which probably isn't the smartest thing to do in the pitch black, but uh, <laughs> I c could not walk. I had to run mm. at that point because everything that my dad had said was potential. I was just like, okay, I can't do this. So your you're escape into your imagination created a powerful imagination because you were exercising it all the time. Yeah. You created a very strong imagination as an escape place to not deal with what you were believing about yourself instead of facing the lies. The pollutants, which had covered up and obscured your ability to see your true self. So you, you created a powerful imagination uh -huh. that allowed you to avoid dealing with the lies that you were buying into about yourself. Yeah. And uh, it kept going. That was definitely probably part of why I was so excited about the Enneagram is because here I was 30-something <laughs> years old now and still struggling to, as I put it, stay awake to my life. Mm. Like, I get off work, I'm tired from people. It it can be extremely easy to slip right back into lots of books and now Netflix and, you know. But when I say awake, I just mean, like, aware of what's going on and actually moving forward in my life and not just kind of skating mm. through what was going on. Because that's how I spent most of the first 18 years of my life, was mostly asleep. I avoidance. Kind of, avoidance, yeah. Mm. Um, that is what nines do is they go to sleep to, so nines fall in the anger or gut triad so there's nine personality mm -hmm. types numbers and there's three triads or three groupings mm -hmm. of three Yeah. and they're described in different ways so the nine is in what's called the gut they react more out of instinct, instinct. And, and gut reaction and that there's an overriding sense of anger related to the gut triad. Yeah. So nines, what they do is 
or we, I do, <laughs> um, <laughs> fall is is to fall asleep to it. So we're completely unaware of it for the most part. We the might anger. get ir, yeah, the anger. So we might get irritated, but we rarely ever actually get angry. Frustration, sure. Annoyance, so definitely. But actual anger, which they actually say is more like, think of it as the passion that drives life forward, is not super present. Out, out of the head, the heart, and the gut, it's actually easier for me to access my head and my heart than it is to access my instincts. Which is really interesting because the way God created you is is to have strong instincts. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, uh, I admit, that was actually part of the struggle for me when I was trying to figure out if I was a nine or if I was something else. Because I was like, I don't feel super angry, and I've got all this access to my head and to my heart, so it, it didn't make sense. So I think that was actually another one of Christopher Hurt's books. I don't remember if it was the first one or the second one that I was talking about. That that's actually a sign. Like, that's how you access you actually access everything other than your actual type easier when you're in, when you're a nine and when you're and so that shows the unhealth of that of that number right yeah huh and um, the more the more i learn the more i'm like oh that makes sense and i start catching myself more easily and i think that's the first thing I've been healing in all of this for a while there, I could go to sleep and hide, and it could take me weeks or months to get back out of that place because I wouldn't even notice that it was going on. And now sometimes I can catch myself within an hour or 30 minutes, and sometimes it still takes a day or a week or two, but I'm not getting stuck in that place of hiding mm. as long. But so a nine can sleep right through the alarms. Yeah, that's a pretty good job. The description right there is is we're so busy trying to maintain our inner and outer sense of peace that it's easy to miss everything else that's going on. Hmm. Because it takes, it, it, you know, a lot of people like want to at least maintain the outer level of peace. That makes sense because who likes conflict and drama and the craziness is the world half the time. Mm. But when you're trying to maintain your inner peace at the same time, nines, I think, fall as being the least energetic people on the Enneagram because we're expending all of our energy all the time trying just to trying to peace. Within. Within and without. Gotcha. So that's where all the energy is going. Yeah. I know another nine that said... Um, that nines tend to be in stealth mode because they're spending so much energy to not notice things yeah. uh, that they're not putting out a lot of energy, so they kind of end up being, look, you know, being invisible in a crowd. Yeah. Like people overlook them because the energy output isn't there, which is the opposite for me as a seven, as which, whose number is called the enthusiast in oh. the title, who is very passionate and and like over the top a lot of the times in that area so whereas it's almost the opposite right sevens just innately put out a lot of energy and nines suppress that energy and uh and end up being looked over yeah i definitely i mean i used to joke that in our family i flew under the radar mm. that was actually the safest way to be in my family 
was to fly under the radar. You didn't want the attention that was going to come down mm. <laughs> for the most part. So, I, I mean, I definitely would say that, that that's, that's pretty true for nines on average. I mean, I know a few nines who break the mold. But it, it's pretty typical for us, especially when we haven't learned about ourselves, when we're still being unhealthy and not moving towards health and becoming who we are to be more invisible, which, of course, as you know, God keeps shoving me out of my comfort zone left and right. Maybe nines have perfected or are better or, uh, at sleeping, but I think we're all asleep to the reality of our true self. And all of our numbers in unhealth have coping mechanisms that keep us asleep. And God is using the tool of the Enneagram as an alarm. But yeah. for you personally, you know, to wake us up to our true <laughs> selves, but for you personally, what uh, what are the what were some of the alarms that have helped you get to the point where you're aware of your tendencies and your coping mechanisms and the fault and, and the lies that they're based in? I think even just, you know, when you initially brought this to my atten- brought the anagram to my attention and we're going through the book and you were like, oh, a nine. <laughs> you weren't expecting that. I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. And then I start reading through it, and I remember because I was mowing the lawn for my parents because that's uh, part of the deal I have with my dad. Mm. And I was sitting there, and I was, like, wrestling with God with it because, you know, I couldn't just take it lying down, <laughs> which is a little weird, I suppose, for a nine who generally likes to avoid things. But when things come to a head, I then tend to wrestle um, with God. And I was like, I don't want to be a nine. I really don't. Yeah. And, you know, like, God's like, well, but I'm giving you this tool. And, and we've talked about this before for me a lot of the times. It's a still small voice. And he's going, this is a tool. Like, this is a tool I'm giving you. That's another weapon to fight against the things that you've been believing that aren't true. Mm. And so I, that's when I really started going like, okay, well now I want to know everything there is possibly to know. Mm. Because that's <laughs> that's my go-to. Once, once you've convinced me of something, then I want to do as much research and get as much knowledge about what's going on as possible. Mm. And so... It's just been bit by bit, piece by piece. You know, I've been meeting with you for a couple of years now, every other week. Yes, we have. Um, which, which is something God's really been using in my life with all of this to just kind of go like, no, that's not who you really are. Like, you, <laughs> you don't tend to hold back when you think I'm saying something that's not true about myself, <laughs> which is a good thing. That's where the nine and the seven come together and <laughs> create a good balance of energy, I suppose. Yeah, so just, it, it's it's been slow, which is typical of a nine, too. That's honestly typical of most of us, yes. to be honest, to be fair to myself. Yeah. <laughs> it takes time, and a lot of us aren't, it, it can be hard to put the energy in, because, you know, the enemy doesn't want you to be free, so he's going to start immediately attacking whatever mm-hmm. um, truth God is revealing. Yeah, starts pouring those pollutants back in. <laughs> yeah, so... So that was one, and then just there were a few few things that started being spoken over me um, by different people. Just 
I went to a Christine King um, Women's in Leadership conference and totally just got adopted by this random lady because I went alone and I'm in a room full of women, which for anyone who knows me, I was like, that's like my nightmare. <laughs> that sounds horrible, but it, it's just I'm more comfortable with guys. Which isn't surprising when you know that some of the people in your family of origin who've wounded you the most yeah. are of the female persuasion. And friends, and it, yeah. the list goes on on the, yeah. the women's side of that. Yeah. So most so, of my wounds have been from women. Yeah. So, so the major yeah. ones. Yeah, the major wounds have mostly been from women. So, and she just walked up and started talking to me. And she's like, "Oh, come sit with me." Like, like she just kept speaking. She's like, "Oh, you're gonna make a great pastor." And I was mm. like, I hadn't told her <laughs> that I was thinking about that. I hadn't even told you yet at that point because mm. I told you I think like right after the conference was when I was start when mm. I told you that God had been putting that on my heart. So that was one of the alarms. God's so great to use people, the people in your life, if you're paying attention to to sound the alarms of hey you're believing something that's not true or hey look at this thing that God's putting into your life that was always meant to be there. Yeah. You know it's what I love. It's we talked about restoration. And reconciliation, you know, he's bringing us back to where he always created us to be. You know, so that was that was one. Um, a lot of the conversations you and I have had, you know, that have started new wrestlings, <laughs> that then eventually gotten brought up and gotten lies broken off of my life that that I'd believed for so long. Mm. You know, but it, it all had to start with that vulnerability. And you know, it's funny. Like, I was just thinking about that word vulnerability because I had done a word study on it you know and a lot of the times they're talking tactical or they're talking vulnerability they're, like, they're looking for the weak spots in the walls uh, and I'm like yeah. you know in, in a war <laughs> you don't want that vulnerability you don't want those weak spots in the walls but God wants those weak spots in the walls in our hearts because those walls aren't meant to be there in the first place right, right. the thing about walls is they actually, we think we're, you, you talked about this in the beginning, mm. right? That we we have a tendency to self-protect. Yeah. And walls, we think, will help protect us. When in reality, the internal walls we build to protect ourselves from hurt actually wall us in from receiving God's love and especially his love through other people. Mm. And in, what are we left with when we wall ourselves in and think we're, quote, protecting ourselves? We're left with the lies of the enemy that are now um, going unchallenged yeah. by God because we've walled him out and we've, and we've walled other people out. So, yes, other people can hurt us, and they do, yeah. out of their own hurt. But they can also speak, they're, the, they're one of the... The key means that God uses to speak his love into us, besides scripture mm -hmm. and the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit through prayer. But when we wall ourselves off from all of that, all we're left with is the lies of the enemy already are inside of us. Yeah. We, bu we build an echo chamber that those lies just bounce around in. And the more we isolate ourselves, the more we build our walls, the more we isolate ourselves, and the more we isolate ourselves, the more we believe the lies and become blind and deaf to the truth. 
And so the pollutants and the layers build up yeah. between our coping, you know, our outer, our subconscious thinking and feeling and our conscious thinking and feeling and behavior. There just becomes a greater difference between that and our and the inner truth of who we are. There's just layer upon layer of pollutants that, that we allow to stack up and mix in. Yeah. So we don't know which way is up. So, yeah, it's so important. You're right. Vulnerability is the key to that, is the key to opening up and sharing with God how we're honestly feeling in a moment and the lies we're, we're believing. Someone said it the other day, the scripture, um, the Lord is a strong tower. Yeah. That we run into. I believe that's what they said. Yeah. And it's so true. It's like the fear of the Lord is is the idea of of seeing God as all powerful is scary and infinite. It's beyond our comprehension to think of a God who always is, always was, and always will be, and that He is infinite in every way. That's that's terrifying. But to trust Him in that. And to see him in his power and, and the fearsomeness of his of his might and run into that then run away from it is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is moving into God rather than run away from him. And that takes vulnerability. Yeah. That is the most courageous thing we can do is drop the walls in our fear. Mm. As scary as it feels, the most courageous thing we can do is drop our walls and tell God, this is how we're feeling. I, I'm terrified of you right now. I am riddled with anxiety. And I'm tempted to move into coping mechanisms to deal with my anxiety. To go into drinking or, you know, whatever it is that we would go to. Performance. Yeah, performance. Um, looking to other people for approval, right? Mm -hmm. To deal with this rather than you. That's vulnerability and that is that is the power that actually tears down the walls and removes the pollutants. Yeah. That's a yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. And and like you said, that's why I love the Enneagram. Because it gives you a tool to do that in a way that gives grace to yourself. Mm. I think this is a good place to end for right now and call this part one, where we really dialed into your number and gave people an understanding of, of how to process a particular Enneagram personality profile number in relationship to God. And we can pick it up next time where we go broader and talk about all of the numbers, a little bit about each of them, about their their fears, their motivators, and the healing message that God has for each number. So let's just call it good for right now and save the rest for next time. And if you want to explore the Enneagram number for yourself, you can go to the EnneagramInstitute.com. There's a test to take. There's also a, a brief description of the nine personality profile numbers. So again, that's the EnneagramInstitute.com. It's a really easy way to learn a little bit about the Enneagram until we talk again. Hey, before we go, there are a few things you might need to know. 
If you want to get a hold of us for any reason, if you have questions, you have concerns, you want help with anything, or you want to support what we're doing, you can reach us at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page simply called Life Hurts, God Heals. You can like us, follow us, and then you can make comments or ask questions there. We would love to hear from you. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Take care.